Hello, and thank you for tuning into the Attack and Release Show. Did I say, did I say like, attack? Attack. Hey. Attack. It's this guy again. Ew. <laughs> All right, again. we're keep rolling. Thank you for tuning into the Attack and Release Show. My name is Matt, and I am joined today and every day by my good friend from Nashville, Sam Moses. What's that? Well, it's just so great to be here again. I ran out of air during that intro. <laughs> that second intro. The first intro was great, except for my, like, attack. Hey. We're Whatever keeping it rolling. That is. Attack. I don't know. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by how... I'm just playing. It's not brought to you by <laughs> I was going to say, did we get a sponsor? <laughs> I'm just going to, like, make up sponsors. And yes, we should. Today's it's a- like, just like a random, like, bun or, like, bread company. Today's episode. Where there's buns... Go. Where there's you got buns, go. there's I, I I don't know. Where there's buns, Should've... there's tone. Yeah, they'd be like a great summer campaign, like suns out, buns out. Like Hawaiian rules go. really need to get on that. I was just yeah. gonna make up audio gear. No, it's suns out, guns out. That's what it was. Like wearing the tanks. Like uh, that's what it is. Let's see, what's a audio company that could sponsor us? Shift Electronics. Shift. Shift Electronics is sponsoring this episode. And they are a pitch and time manipulation plugin. <laughs> I just made that up. Or sorry, I had to like throw out this like my tea was like getting like insanely strong, so I like left a little baggie in there. Anyway, faded. And like I will I was going back to the trash can and I ran out of room and I was like, oh crap. Faded like, off. I tea. ran out of cord. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, do you know what another funny one would be? Is we were talking about this on Monday. Uh, that audio company called Shit Audio, S C H I I T. Arguably, is that, is that a real they make company? Arguably, one of the best and cheapest phono pre's. Interesting. You need a phono pre. Like we were, like we were. I was talking that we were like auditioning a bunch of phono pre's and all different price ranges. This is like ninety nine dollars, and like it was like the shit Manny. <laughs> And it was just like, it would just be a funny company to be sponsored by. It's like, it's totally not their audience, but it's like, shit audio, get shit done. Shit <laughs> out. Yeah, it's a German yeah. name, it says. I'm on their website. Huh. Yeah. I was looking at their... Uh, Built in California that? and Texas. Yeah. Well, interesting. Yeah, I was like, I didn't think it was a German company, but like, like yeah, I got the That's name. What it says. Huh. I'm going to have to check them out. All right, let's get on this episode. Yeah. Anyway, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry, I'm still like my mind's in the shitter. S C H I I T E R, or like when I said attack earlier, via S C H I I T A shitter. All right, I'm done. All right, thanks for tuning into the Attack and Release Show. Uh, we'll see you all next week on this episode. We're going to be chatting about how to make a song exciting. Was that an exciting intro, Sam? I don't know. You know, the intros to me are always fun for uh, me, but I don't know about the audience. <laughs> so everyone's like, this is an inspiring podcast. Was it I, like, I don't think we'll get that this time. I don't think we'll get that this time. I think I we, we know, might be done know. now. But the topic you know. is exciting. Like this is going to be a great the topic episode. Is exciting because most of y'all out there want to know how. I mean, who doesn't want to make an exciting sounding record that's full of life and power and energy? Who doesn't want that? Don't I like that? Yeah, I mean, if you want that, you need to listen to this episode because sign me up. I'm going to spill the tea about. I hope I don't spill the tea. I'm making like records on the other side exciting. Of this I'm going to give away all my secrets. All right, let's uh, keep rolling here. I have to do something called housekeeping. Yeah, why don't you, uh, you know, uh, pull out the Auric and oh, that? Do you know what? We should have Auric or Dyson sponsor housekeeping. That would be a funny sponsor. Lysol, <laughs> or yeah, whatever. Housekeeping sponsored by Enter Cleaning Brand here. Purell input output cleaning. Yeah, there you go. Sam, take us away in the housekeeping. <laughs> Welcome, my friends, listeners. You're still is this episode? with us. If you're still with us, thank you so much. Uh, screenshot an episode. It's housekeeping. You know what the drill is. Screenshot this episode or your favorite episode in the past. Go on Instagram. Tag me at Moses Mastering. Tag Matt for the record mastering. 
We will share your post. We will cross market. We will cross multiply. We also, the most important thing, we get to know you cross as a person. Cross multiply? Cross multiplication. Uh, it's a math term. Um, uh, we get to know you one-on-one, it's which is... a biology term. It's yeah, it is. Weird. Are you going to let me do housekeeping <laughs> or what? Good Lord. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's the tea. Oh, I don't what know what you you're drinking. You're... Anyway, Matt's going to get it together here. I'm going to finish housekeeping. Screenshot, post it, share it. We get to know you one-on-one, which has been the uh, the biggest benefit of doing this. We didn't even realize, to be honest, we started because we were like, we want some more people to be a part of the community. But then we were like, oh my gosh, we actually get to meet the people in the community. And uh, that's been great. So if you don't mind sharing it, tagging us, even if you're like, ah, it's not really part of my brand to like reshare, just DM us. That's fine too. We really want to get to know everybody. We've had amazing friendships come out of it. Um, We have even like Zoom mastering groups that have come out of it. We've had meetups that have come out of it. So there's just a lot of cool community within this podcast. So um, yeah, so that's housekeeping. Love ya, audience. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye. And I'm back. <laughs> Cue the music. And I'm back. <laughs> and there we go. Anyway, today's episode How to Make a Song Exciting. But first, Sam, what makes a song boring? Um, well, to me, a song is boring when it lacks uh, contrast. Let's start there. And that could be dynamics or not dynamics, compression, not compression. But a song is often boring and not exciting when it lacks contrast. So it might be the same thing the whole time. And this is one of the number one issues to me of a boring song is your song does the same thing the whole time. And people out there or like some of the old people, uh, I'll say the old people who hate loudness or yell at you for making compressed records would say that compression is boring. Compression can't is a boring type of record. And that is not true. I 100% disagree that compression, just because it makes things more loud more often, so on average everything is quote unquote, the same loudness, there are a thousand other things, maybe not a thousand, a hundred other things you could do to a record, even if it's smashed to death and playing back at the same, basically within a dB or two of itself from start to finish. There are so many other things you can do to make a record interesting. And I think this topic is interesting because we are in a very uh, interesting spot, I'll say the word interesting again, where you... We basically, we make really loud records. Like, I don't know why we're still acting like we don't, for most of us, 95% of us, 98% of us, we make heavily compressed records. We've been doing it for like 10 straight years. The most popular records are usually super compressed. Of course, there's going to be somebody out there who's like, no, but Bruno Mars. Yes, there are three or four records that have come out that are maybe a little less dynamic, but they're still very compressed compared to 20 years ago. People like compression. You like compression. The songs you give us as references are almost always compressed um, outside of maybe Matt gets some more dynamic stuff. But compression does not mean boring. And that has been a narrative that has been pushed for many years now with people talking about penalties and luffs and normalization. And I want to sit here today and say that if a record is heavily compressed, that doesn't mean it's boring because most of my records are freaking loud. And the last thing people say about the records I work on are, this sounds boring. People say, this sounds huge, exciting. It's like nonstop adventure. It just keeps going and going. Like, People love the energy that are in the records I work on, and I spend a lot of time figuring out how do I make this record feel exciting because I don't want to be bored during my job. (laughs) So if anything, I'm making records exciting for my own enjoyment. With saying that, I don't want this to sound like the work I get is not exciting either. Like The mixes I get are pretty exciting. But there's quite a bit 
we do at Mastering, at least I do, to make sure that the record is exciting. And one of those things that I focus on is contrast. And I can go into contrast more, but I think we're going to try and dialogue this year. So, Matt, let me throw it back at you. What, what, uh, what makes a record boring to you? Um, I'd say, I'd, well, I'd say, I have it written down that when something comes in just slammed to bejesus, and I actually wrote out bejesus, um, I'd say that's kind of when it's boring and kind of when you have to like make up your own dynamic range, which is, you know, not possible really without turning things down in the mix, but you're just kind of like, all right, you know, I'm going to, you know, faux make it up. Um, <clears throat> there's like no movement, everything's just kind of the same. And uh, I mean, I think it, for, at least for me, comes down to dynamic range. I like interesting stuff where like stuff's like shooting from speaker to speaker, and not like in a like an uncontrolled way. Um, I don't know. Um, yeah, I'd say for the most part, I would just stick with my first answer. I really don't like when stuff is just lacking dynamic range. I'm not like. Mm, we won't say names. I'm not a person who has another podcast who talks about dynamic range a lot. I'm not like that. I'm not going to give you a really quiet master, but I'm I'm going to try to do whatever I can to preserve the dynamics of what's going on while giving you an industry level master as best it can. And I mean, I've said in other previous episodes that my whole goal isn't really loudness. It's just kind of a byproduct of what I do. And I mean, the joke is, is that I hit my gear like it owes me money and I use all the lights because I paid for all the lights on them. And even on the plugins, I just... It's like, I don't know, sometimes the red lights are on, sometimes the red lights are off. I don't, I don't know, just whatever sounds good. It's like, it's not clipping. I mean, it might say it's clipping. You don't really know if it's clipping or not. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I run, I run everything pretty full darn open, but I'm still able to maintain a pretty darn interesting and dynamic record. And if anything really, I don't know. And do you have like, like so when you're pulling something up to a certain level, Sam... Matt. Are you normally setting it? Like, do you have an idea of I, I? It needs to hit this numerical value, or do you have this type of like mental threshold that, like, when you're hearing it, you're like, okay, yeah, it's there. I can, at this stage, I can hear it, like where a record needs can go, you know. But I also do use meters, sure, and I have my system of looking at RMS, DR, and LUFs, where I can pretty much tell how a record sounds without hearing it based on how it reads on the meters, too. So that's a whole other technique I, I use. I use it a lot for when I'm doing full lengths because I can bounce from song to song to song to song quickly on the courses with markers and see how they pull up on the meters. And basically each one of those meters is telling me something about the song, um, about the low, mids, and highs. And... If I get those all basically the same or within one, not, I'm going to say one unit, how about that? <laughs> sure. Uh, I know the whole record is extremely balanced um, within sure. itself. So, yeah, I mean, I, I use my ears though a ton. Like, I can hear, I did, I mean, this is just like the last three or four years. I feel like I can finally hear like over compression or under compression. I can, I can hear sweet spots where songs all of a sudden like leap out or they don't. It's a training. You also have to have a decent environment to hear mm-hmm. or great headphones too. Um, but yeah, that's my answer to that. I don't want to cut you off. Yeah. No, I, uh, I'm kind of like on to like another thing on my notes. <laughs> that's fine. We can um, keep it rolling. I'm like I'm like already ahead. Okay, great. Um, I mean, we both answered the question, so keep going. Yeah. I, and, and I think I'm having a brain fart. Because right. I'm like already on to like, okay, what tools do you use to do this? Well, work? that's what I was going to talk about next. Isn't that what we're here for? 
I mean, I think that's what everybody to tell the audience what we do to make records exciting. Yeah, let's give them what Um, they want. Oh, we were talking about meters. That's what we were doing. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I like I totally had a brain fart. I was writing down like tools and like all this other stuff. Real quick with meters, I'll generally have like set values on my monitoring controller to where I'll know like. Okay, this is where I should be listening at. And so like whenever you start a mix, it's like I'm gonna probably turn up uh the whatever monitor controller I'm using to like a fixed value. It's like, okay, this is the start value. And then as stuff gets louder, it does kind of get turned down and eventually it's like, okay, I know on the helo on the monitoring section, I turn it down to thirty-three like point zero or thirty three point five, mm-hmm. like that's my whole range. That like okay, this is going like this is kind of like the loudness that like I generally like this at. I'm really really weird, and then I also will reference that based on I'll have like two meters on no three meters on my computer, and then I'll have uh, a VU meter that is kind of like you know going crazy in front of me. Um, the three meters on my desktop, those are I like the BX. Meter by uh, by Plugin Alliance. Don't buy it for a hundred dollars because they always are offering ninety percent off. You get it for ten dollars, like every other week. And so, yeah, hold on on that. The Klangheim, the VUMT, I like that a lot under RMS. And then I have one that's monitoring the whole output like the master section of Logic. And then I have another one that's the... It's actually two different VUMTs. Uh, I have another one that's not run off Logic. I have one that's run off my desktop. And the one that runs off desktop relies on like some I.O. So like, okay, it's leaving here and it's coming in here and then we're going to... Yeah, this is what we're going to meter. And so... I have it metering the level of what's coming in. So as far as like whatever something is coming in in the analog, like it's hitting the converter and coming back in, this is the level that that is at. And so, and then like my VUs will kind of like show me like what's that saying? It's like, well, why do you use so many meters? Because every meter is really showing something different and no meter really agrees with one another. Like the two VUMTs are going to be fine, but then the BX meter, it it just kind of like, it seems like it's kind of working in a bit of a different way because you would figure like, yeah, sure, you run like a like a 1K sine wave through this thing, and it's like, yeah, sure, at 20 dB, you're, you're sure, it's going to show that, but like if you're playing a song, they're like displaying different values at different times, and I don't know, it just, it drove me crazy in the beginning, and I was like, is it like calibration? Is it like this? And it was like, I could not figure it out. Um, and just kind of like, yeah, these peop- these meters just all figure out their like path to the end result in a different way and if I'm really just like okay is this really loud enough the one meter I really still like I don't use the Pro L2 too much anymore but I really like the meter on it because I think it's probably one of the most accurate meters out there and so if you do, if I do want to like measure luffs or something like that I can look at that I don't really look at it I'm more just RMS and just kind of seeing where stuff is going but I really love that meter on the far right side um so generally though it's like a combination of everything that's like summed in my head in a weird kooky way and that's how I determine <laughs> <laughs> how loud stuff's going to be. But like normally it's kind of like I have this like mental block of like, okay, this is like, I don't think we should go any louder than this. And I'll tell the artist when I deliver, hey, I think this is perfect. I think everything is set fantastic. But if something is kind of quiet, I also have no problem being like, if the client for whatever reason would like a little bit more level out of this, just know we do have the room that I can push into it. I just stopped at where my gut was saying this is the appropriate loudness for this. Just because not everything needs to be, you know, slammed to bejesus. Right. So um, that was my meter talk. So thank you for coming to my TED talk. <laughs> um, let's go into tools. Um, since that was kind of where we were 15 minutes ago before, like, you know, right after my brain fart. So what do you use? Do you have like go tos? Or are you ever just kind of like, 
hmm, what do I use? And you're just kind of like browsing <laughs> the audio units part of Logic. Uh, I yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things I think that can add excitement because my approach has to do with contrast. So when I say contrast, we're talking about two different things. Basically, you could think of light, dark. You could think of bright and dark. You could think of um, compressed to dynamics, dynamics compressed. You could think of uh, more bass, less bass, more bright, less bright, filtering, not filtering. So there's a lot of things that basically anything I pull up, I can use as contrast to make exciting. Now, saying that, there are some things that will traditionally make Things sound exciting based on what people think of excitement, which is usually has to do with a top end thing. That's my experience. Mm-hmm. When people talk about, oh, it sounds exciting, they're usually talking about a top end thing. So there are different things I like to use, and I'm going to just talk about in the box because hardware. So many people we have we have in our audiences in the box. I've learned so. Um, and everyone knows. And you can chat about any of your hardware if you wanted as well, just like something yeah, you do. But. I mean, the quick would be like the better maker has the harmonics you can pick. So something at 22K, you know, or 20 or 18, and saturate that with harmonics into the limiter. You know, your top end just blooms and sounds bigger and fatter and wider. And that automatically makes your ears go, whoa, this is exciting. Um, you know, something like that. But in the box, um, one of my favorite plugins that people sleep on all the time. And I've told a number of you out there, which a lot of you bought it and you love it, but it's the Overloud Dopamine um, plugin. And it is incredible. It's a... uh, It's not an exciter in the traditional way. It's basically modeled after the old Dolby noise suppressor uh, tape units. Oh, you have talked about this. Yeah, and they reverse it. It's actually... The way you get it to excite is, um, man, I'm going to butcher it. You need to read the manual. I didn't memorize the manual, but I've read it. Um, it's basically they're using it in a different uh, in a different way. And if Dave McNair is listening, he'll probably educate me on this. So, Dave, be gentle to me. Um, <laughs> like, take it away, Dave. Take it away, like, Dave. Dave just comes out of the background. That's what we should have. Um, we should have moments with Dave. Uh, anyway, uh, that plugin is amazing. Um, it creates harmonics based on the original content and also the content that is like in the Delta, I think. Um, gosh, I know there's somebody out here who's like, this guy's an idiot. But go check out Dopamine Overloud, or Overloud is the company and Dopamine is the I know plugin. the piece of hardware. Do you want me to say what it does? Yeah. This piece of hardware was initially brought out to remove tape noise. Yeah, noise suppressor. Um, so it's got like, it's got a little cassette that goes in it. And I don't, I, I don't know if it like plays a null or something of like what's going on, um, but essentially it was initially created to remove tape hiss. Right. And I know that some people used them as like the hardware units. They used them as DSers. There's another company that that makes a thing that is this thing. It's a company called Audio Thing, and it's called the Type A, the Vintage Enhancer. And that one actually allows you. I don't use this at all. I own it, but I don't use it. It actually allows you to like tune different bands of this exciter, yeah, and to enable different bands of it. And so it's like kind of the it's kind of the same thing. But initially, this thing was brought out at like to remove tape hiss. Yeah, I have it pulled up here, so I can just read it, so I don't sound like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Let me know if I'm wrong. No, you're all from- you're correct. It says overloud dopamine is a particular kind of enhancer used in early forms of magnetic tape noise reduction. The tape was encoded by dynamically brightening the signal. Then, while playing back, the tape was decoded by taking off the extra brightness, consequently reducing the tape hiss. The audio engineers realized that the tape encoding process was a desirable effect on many kind of audio sources, so they started to use the process in parallel with the original tracks to add liveliness. This is what dopamine replicates. And it says basically... What is different about dopamine than every other exciter out there is that dopamine doesn't introduce any sort of new artifacts like every other exciter does out there. It dynamically balances the harmonics that are already in the song and blends it in parallel. So it's using basically only the content that's only in your song 
and running it parallel through this process as opposed to like every other exciter, like Apex, Apex Exciter, which I do like. I have actually an EXR psychoacoustic projector hardware unit that's really cool. Um, that's a mouthful. But those all basically create fake harmonics, like fake exciting, and you get artifacts sometimes that way that aren't very pleasing. But yeah, I use dopamine all the time because it has a blend knob on it. So you can like, I'll turn it up wet 100% and dial in the extreme setting I want and then I'll pull it all the way back and parallel it, blend it in. And it's it's great. I love that. Um, vitamin by Waves, the top end on Vitamin Waves. Cheap plug-in, the top end uh, bands on it because it's a multi-band uh, harmonic and saturator. Uh, sometimes the top top bands sound incredible on that. I use that. I used that on a record like last week and someone mentioned the top end sounded so exciting, blah, blah. And they were like, what hardware did you use? And I was like, I got to confess, it's $20 ways thing. <laughs> like it just worked. Like that was the thing. It worked. And it also has a width knob on it um, and a punch knob in that plugin. And you can dial those in as well on, on it and make the top end feel wide, which is contrasting um, compared to where the song was. So I like that. Um, Which one was that one? That I was looking up Waves this. Vitamin. Oh. Yeah. It's, I, I mean, it's not, I don't <laughs> like really anything else on the plugin. I just like the top end on it as an exciting type thing. Oxford uh, Limiter, the X Enhance knob that can add some excitement top end harmonics. Um, but then, like outside of that, when I'm talking about contrasts, like I might just use volume automation. Like I use volume automation a lot in songs I master, where like I'll take the chorus, I'll take the verses and knock them down a dB, and then the choruses are always a dB louder. And a lot of people, like even if they do that in the mixes, I mean, a lot of people don't do that, but it just it makes the song move. Movement is exciting. Because we're talking about what excites your brain and your ear, basically. So that's that's change. Change to your ear is exciting or scary as well. <laughs> it can be terrifying. Um, and too much change, I think we've talked about this too with dynamics and compression, is like if you're in bed and someone turns the light on, that is a dynamic change. So And it's not great. It's awful. It's disturbing. It scares you. It doesn't feel good. <laughs> But if you have a gradual, you know, the light dims and comes on slowly or like a sunrise sunset kind of thing, then it feels natural. It feels good. But sometimes you can have too much excitement. So I'm very careful on when I'm automating not to make things feel too different because people pick up on that. They're used to a song mm-hmm. feeling and sounding a certain way. And if you really start screwing with it, people know, they will know and be like, this feels different and I don't like it. Um, so you have to know where the boundaries are when you're trying to make something exciting. Also, I mean, if you want to make a song exciting, you can just try like a top end shelf, <laughs> like mm-hmm. to be honest, like 12 K and above or one K and above. Sometimes on songs, I will just start with a shelf all the way up at the top. Like, um, like the massive passive, you can start at 27 K with a shelf and I'll boost that thing like six, well, it's not dBs, it's six somethings on the massive passive because they tell you it's not actual dB increments. Um, and then I'll just work that that frequency down. So I'll start at 27, and then I'll see how it sounds. And then it goes to 16, and then to 12, and so forth and so forth. And eventually you'll hear, at least it, to my ears at this stage, one of those frequencies will click where the whole song just like, opens up like incredibly big feeling and exciting. And that's, you know, maybe all of the song needs. A lot of people make a lot of dark records. Um, I've noticed over the years because their rooms are not great. So they have too mm-hmm. much bass and they have too much bass and the top end's not controlled. So they're constantly making everything brighter to compete with the low end bass that's out of control in the room. That is such a common thing I get. Um, almost everything I do comes back to people brighter and 
people often will say like, oh, it just it sounds so exciting and better. Or and it's because I've adjusted the low end with the top end, or I've just boosted. I always boost till my problems go away. Sometimes when I boost the top end, then I end up boosting the bottom end again and rebalancing it within my chain, which might sound counterproductive, but it's not. Um, but anyway, that's a lot of people make a lot of dark records, and maybe the top end just sounds brittle then. So it's contrasting of filtering off. I mean, I filter off stuff all the time on the top end for people to bring attention to something nice in the top end. You know, I might filter like 18K and above, or 19 or 20 or 17. And the song sounds brighter because there's not as much for your ear to try and distinguish what's going on in the top end. So there's less top end, but it sounds brighter and more clean and compact. Um, so yeah, those are all like some of my go-tos. I mean, that's how... If you want to make something exciting, you have to make sure it has some contrast and change. Um, and don't be afraid to experiment with stuff. Like I mess around with things all the time. Also, reverb is exciting. We talked about that one time, but I had a record. To, I'm uh, like literally writing pro R as you said that. Yeah, like I used reverb on a single today. Like Logic Stock reverb, one percent wet, two percent wet, dial it in. And the song feels the same, but it feels so much better and exciting. And it just glues it and adds some space and dimension that I felt like this song sounds flat. That's, a no, that's actually another word I'll use is flat, not dimensional. Like a lot of stuff I feel like now sounds flat and it doesn't feel like there's depth to it. And so reverb um, can, can go a long way, just like 1% of something. Um, but yeah, I mean, most of the people, I feel like at mastering stage, people are expecting something to come back that feels bigger, better, louder, exciting. Like, mm-hmm. if I sent back something that was more dull and quiet, people definitely would be like, this is not better. <laughs> and whether whether or not that's good or bad, I mean, I feel like, Matt, you and I have beaten those sorts of topics up before in the previous years of this episode. That's just how it is, you know, like... That's the the industry we're in. That's the market I'm in. Like the genres I work in, people want stuff louder, bigger, brighter, more exciting all the time, and that's great. Like it's fun for me to figure that out. It's fun for me to find what's exciting about the song. That would be another whole avenue of things to talk about, which is like I find what's exciting about the song based on what I think is exciting. So of course it's a heavy bias, but. I pay attention to like what is the thing in the song. And I've talked about that before. Usually it's a vocal thing and a percussive thing. I try to find the thing. Um, and then I'll boost those things via EQ or saturation. That's how I make it exciting too. Okay, I'm going to stop talking. Matt, what are some of your go-to excitement things you do? I have a list. Great, go. I want to know because um, I'm going to use Start with them. hardware or software? Whatever you want. Uh, okay, we'll start with hardware. Um, we'll start with the Neve. Um, no, I'll start with the main. I'm going to go in order of like how I normally run stuff, or else I'm going to get another brain fart. Um, it's like a gassy migraine. <laughs> uh, it's funny. Um, okay, so if I want like some vibe or something like that, how do I make some things exciting? If something needs to be fat. I really like just like, and like the levels there to afford it. And like, you have to have a lot of stars align in order for some of these things to work. And so, like, the harmonics have to be in line. Like, if somebody's like zazzing it up because they've heard us like talk about the inflator a million times and they have a million inflators on their mix, then it's just like, I can't really do what I do, the little bit of the inflator I do because there's so much like harmonic stuff on there. And so now we're having to like kind of maybe even tame that area, like those areas. But if everything's in line, I need something that's just like a little fatter, a little meatier, and a lesser known thing that I do say a lot, I don't think I say it on here a lot, is every gain knob, like a gain knob is not a gain knob. Every single gain knob sounds different. Um, I really like the input trim 
for the Manly Berry Mew, and it's literally like, I need this a little fatter and a little louder, please. And it's like, okay, here you go. Here's two and four. And sometimes it's too much, and sometimes it's just perfect. And so I really like that a lot. Um, Let's see. I mean, the massive passive is just like a whole thing of like, hey, make this really exciting. I still really only use it for like mids and lows, Um, But, I mean, Sam's 100%, right? I mean, one of the fun things you can do is because the bands don't really interact too much is you can do... Oh, no, no, no. I'm sorry. This is something else that I do with another (laughs) piece. I can't do that with this. The mainly, the Massive Passive, I just really use it. Sam is... Have you said that you only do all shelves on Massive Passive? Only all shelves. Only boost shelves. all shelves. That's all I do. all shelves. I don't think I've ever done a record that doesn't have all the little dip switches up. (laughs) Dave's listening and he's just like, he's just fuming. I know. I'm going to call Sam right now. Dave, you're awesome. Um, I normally will audition shelves and the only place I really like it is if I'm just kind of doing a high shelf. And it's normally like for some reason the massive passive just rocks on like the 1K range. And then everything else for me is just a very broad, everything is broad. Um, it's just a very broad bell. And uh, it's just like, you can just like add some meat, you can add some interest. It's like if you get something that's just like, it's a rock tune, but it's like really kind of scooped feeling. And there's enough like, you know, oomph down low to really like, yeah, I can kind of work with this. You can bring it back a little bit. Yeah, It's just really good for like massaging all the things. Um, what I go to, I would say as, then as far as hardware, even if I'm not going to use the massive, pe- I'm sorry, the Maslick, the MEA2, the, um, the EQ, just running an MS signal through it for some reason sometimes will just like, I don't know what it does, it just makes stuff sound a little more 3D. Yeah. And I really like it. And if I am going to use the mas- uh, the Maslick, it's normally going to be an MS to a degree. I'm not doing these like crazy MS shelves and whatnot, but it's like I might do some like fun stuff. It's like, okay, let's make the vocal a little bit more present in like the mid. And then it's like, hey, what's kind of like everything doing on the sides and like the top end? Like, can we expand the like the top end? It's like, yeah, sure. Maybe it's like a. I don't know, like a like a nine point seven k. I'm kind of like looking at this thing as I'm talking. Nine point seven k, like the fourteen, like shelf that we're just gonna like go like boop, and it just widens it and just makes it so darn nice. It's literally, if you can be like, man, I think I've said this in an episode too. If you can just be like, man, I really wish this vocal was a bit more present. You can just be like, yeah, vocals here, boop. And I want this cue, boop, boop. And then you're like, I want to buy this much. Boop, boop. And it's like, holy crap, it's right there. It's exactly what I wanted. And that thing is just, it just makes things exciting. I really like it. Um, Let's see, where do I go next for exciting things? The output transformers for the P3S, the foot control system, P3SME. It's really nice. It's really subtle. And... You almost need to get that plug-in doctor to be like, okay, where exactly is this affecting? But it's like, man, I just really wish I had like a little bit of shine with like no harmonic, like BS. But like, granted, if you're driving transformers, it's going to be a little bit harmonic. But um, without it being like kind of piercingly harmonic, the output transformers on that, I really like that for what I do. Okay, now back to the knee. This is back where I was going to start, but then I was going to get all you know backwards. I really do like playing with the silk. I don't use it all that much anymore. Um, The red silk I used a lot when I got started. And I think when you kind of do get started, you kind of more drift towards like the smile method of things. It's like, oh, like the nice fat low end and the nice like bright and happy and not overly harsh top end. And then, like, the mids are kind of, like, left alone to a degree unless you really want to do something there. Um, I don't know. That was just kind of, like, when you first get into it, it's like you might look at more, like, the smile method. So if you look at the curve, it's like a, like a joop. But I just kind of drew a smile with my finger in the middle of the air. Um, I would say the red definitely kind of caters to that. Uh, I might use it once or so a year. 
The blue, however, is a freaking vibe. And I can't graphically represent this, but I can hear it every time I flip it on. And I it might just be me going crazy. I'm I'm sure at 34 I'm getting more senile by the day. But I would flip into blue silk, and yes, it affects the low end, and I can graphically register uh, through Plug and Doctor and everything else that this is affecting the low end. There is a bump that happens. But there's a nice darkening and smoothing of the top end that happens that is not graphically represented. And so this is me and just kind of claiming what I'm hearing. Um, it like, you know, okay, so what was that uh, Casey Musgrave album that got uh, album of the year a few years ago? Morning, no, that was, that was I was going to say Morning Glory. That was, uh, bah, bah, bah. I don't even think it was called Morning Glory. That was Beck's thing. It was a few years before hers. What was the Casey Musgraves album? Help me out, Sam. The Casey Musgraves. I'm on the Grammy board. Record that just came out. <laughs> no, it was. Golden uh, Hour? Yeah, Golden Hour. Yeah. Then what the hell was the Beck ago? album that won? I thought. Uh, Morning phase. Okay, I got like I got some little words all backwards. It's all right. Yeah. So golden hour. It's like it's like a little bit of like like the vocals there, and it's really nice and present. But it's like nice and silky. It's not ducked, but it's not not ducked. And there's like a like a tinge of darkness to it. And every female artist that I mastered for that year after it won was like, I want the Casey vocals. And I was like, well, Neve Blue Silk, here we come. And it just really delivered, and it just kind of puts everything in a really nice place. Um, so I do that, and then let's see, any other thing that I've written down for hardware? No, I don't think so. Okay, let's go in the box. Let me just make sure. That was my Batman noise. Lots of like random <laughs> crap happening today. It's kind of been a busy week. Heads all over the place. Uh, Crane song. I like the pentode and the tape. But those are more like let me bring something like forward with the pentode. And I've played with it kind of while we've been on air. And Sam does so much after processing that you can kind of hear it, but you kind of can't. And it may just make stuff a little bit more airy and forward in the vocal region. And then like the tape one is just kind of like, ah, there's a little too much junk. Um, and it can really kind of heal um, some harmonic harshness that might be there. Um, and the triode I'd leave alone because it just... It doesn't sound good to me. Um, okay. Let's hop in the box. Everyone's still there? Is everyone still there? Everyone awake? Like, like we're all good now? Um, one thing... Let's see. One thing I used to like... I really used to like the... Um, the Sontec emulation that was done by Acoustica with the big old Luffs meter in the middle that I think wastes more CPU than it's worth. <laughs> yes. Um, that output gain, if you just need to kind of like get a little bit of level on something, and I'm talking ridiculous amounts of just harmonic level, that's a really nice EQ. But like the weird thing is, is that like there's no like clean way to dial it in. But if you need it, you need it. Um, I also like that Magic Death Eye. Uh, the funny thing is that the mono and the stereo kind of sound different, which is odd to me. But I really like that if just something just kind of needs to come forward. And generally, it's like on a like a country vocal, and you're not necessarily using it for the compression. It's kind of like, like yes, you use a Fairchild 670 for the compression, but it's like you also kind of use it for the vibe um, and just like the box tone. That's that's what I use the Magic Death Eye for. Um, I like that a lot. Um, on the Limitless, I really like the whole... I like the clipper function on it. I like the dynamic EQ function on it. It also makes revisions just like such a like an easy thing. Cause it's like, hey, can we get like the vocal down just a little bit? It's like, sure, I'll just pull the vocal range. You can solo the vocal range, I think, with like the control button and like clicking the thing. And then you can just be like... And then you can just pull it down. And I'm making a lot of mouth noises today, if you haven't noticed. 
Um, but yeah, that and the Clipper are just really darn nice. Just helps keep it interesting. The Saturn, I really like using uh, that by Fab Filter. If you just kind of need to like push a rock tune, or it's like you just need like to get like a little bit more like umph out of like a chorus or something, um, you can just kind of like enable or disable, or you can just be like, "Yo, input gain, drive into this at this chorus because we're already using it." And it's great. Did you also know? Have you have you ever used that like right before a limiter, Sam? Mm. The Saturn two. Yeah, I've used it before a limiter. Did you did you have you ever seen it catch peaks? Saturn like, two. Yeah. Yeah, it can catch peaks. It gets crunchy. No, like significantly catch peaks. I think it's because isn't Saturn two multi band? I never use it multi band. Oh, I was using single. That's how I use it multi. So yes, I don't even know what the answer do. is yes, I do know what you're saying. Like every time I'll like I haven't read the manual, but like every time I turn it on and I'm doing whatever I'm doing, uh by the end of it, and if I have that right before a limiter, it's like in the limiter, let's say like I was making an edit and I was like, nah, it needs a little bit more. And so like I go to the Saturn, enable the Saturn, and I was like, Well, where's the peaks that the limiter was catching? And it's like I disable the Saturn, and I was like, Oh, there they are. And the Saturn just like catches them in a nice way. Um and that's just like if you just need to push something just a little bit, and like I have it dialed back. It's not like a hundred percent. It might be at like I don't know ten or twenty, and you drive up, you can drive down. I really like automating plugins. Um, Pro R, I use it maybe. <laughs> I posted a story about it or a uh, whatever kind of post about it, and I had a lot of people be like, "Ew, use reverb," and it's like. Yeah, because sometimes you get stuff in that's too dry, and in mastering, for some reason, it acts a little bit like the gluing element of compression. It just kind of lets everything find its place, but you're not using a lot of it. Um, normally, it's like 2% or 3%. Um, I recently had to use 10%, which is a lot for me, but... It was just kind of what the chef ordered, and so that's uh, that's kind of how that was. <sighs> Let's see. I'm down to isotope. Does that make anything exciting? Eh, kind of not really. I like the I like the what is it? The vintage compressor, not compressor. The vintage. Uh, what's the schmush? Um, the limiter. The limiter. Um, that's kind of neat because if you the different voices that it has are very interesting. I rarely use modern. Um, analog is kind of like I just need something just to kind of glue some stuff together and uh, just give me like a little bit of a harmonic vibe and that's cool. If not it's like oh I got like some guitars and I have like a vocal that's like trying to stand out but I don't want to like EQ it to stand out. The tube setting on it just has this like midfield little harmonic thing that it does and it can kind of turn a record into a hi-fi sounding record. And I just always find that kind of neat. Um, I, so this is what I, this next one is what I was going to say about the, um, about the Massive Passive, that NIF Audio Soma, that Plugin Alliance came out with. I don't know if I said this on a previous episode, but I have this really bad habit of buying something and then sitting on it for six months and before I really start using it. And Man, I started playing with that recently, and um, I had a client who was asking for like, "Hey, I really like the past masters. Can we have a little more top end on it?" It's like, "Yeah, sure." And so, just kind of reading on how the bands work is like, you do like, I don't know, let's just say like you have like a one k shelf that's you know all the way all the way through, but then when you hit like ten k or something like that, and granted, these points for these EQ curves are, um. Like that point is the very top of like I don't know, you kind of have like a little swoop where it goes up and like it's determined by the cue of the slope. And so like if you have like 48 Q, like like a Q of 48, it's gonna be like pretty darn tight. But if you have like 12 or 24, it's gonna be a pretty kind of shallow slope. I'm not sure of the cue of these. But the point on the EQ that you're switching to is like the top of that swoop, and then it just keeps on going out into infinity. So it's like maybe you do like 2K, 
is like kind of your first one, maybe at half a dB. And then at like 10K, I maybe do another half dB. And so because the bands on that one compound, then you kind of have like a little stair effect. So it's like it's like half a dB up to like whenever the swoop starts, and then it slowly builds up to like a full dB with that second half dB added in. And so I really like playing with that. And it's like I like I, don't know, I just like automating stuff too. Um, I try like I I try just about everything. I, I really don't want to like overdo it or anything. Um, Oxford Inflator. I mean, it's a given. Um, Sam got me on the Tokyo Don Gentleman's Edition. Mm-hmm. It's like shout out to that. Let's see. I think the last one I want to talk about is a sleeper, and I don't really even know why they brought this out. That Abbey Road vinyl plugin that they have. It's kind of like a weird thing, and you kind of have to know a little bit about. You don't really have to know anything about vinyl, I guess. Um, but it's like you can switch between like the different um, cartridges, and so like whether it was like moving magnet, just like it's called MM, MC, and DJ. But moving magnet, moving coil, and DJ, and moving coil just has like a lot more life and movement to it than say a moving magnet would. And you can just take something and make it like really darn hi-fi sounding with that. And it's got like a cool way just to like liven something up. And so, I don't know. Those are those are kind of what I do. Do I have anything else written down here? Hold on, Sam. I got to do some reading. Oh, something else. This is the outboard thing. I've experimented a lot. And if you look back at some of my old pictures, I had this like one U black box with like a bunch of switches on it um, that my friend Angel and I made. And that's like a little input matrix thing for um, uh, if I have like any transformers or any gear that I want to like audition or whatnot. And one of the things I really enjoyed doing, and this is many years ago, I really haven't played with it since, it's kind of sitting on a back shelf, is I really enjoyed driving transformers. So like you're driving into it and then you're driving and then you're like dialing it back if you want to. And just kind of getting any bit of that saturation and whatever harmonic goodness that's going to do out of those transformers. So, I think I'm done. <laughs> Did I talk enough, Sam? Uh, you talked plenty. Yeah, it's great. Oh, I see. I talked more than you did. So it's, <laughs> it's fun. Like two times your blank spot. It's not a competition. <laughs> I think I won. <laughs> if it was, you did speak more than me today. Kind of rare. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. That's kind of what we do. Um, and it's not like, like you don't use all of these, obviously. It's just kind of like, you know, to taste. Right. And yeah, it's, I don't know, you might use like one of these. You might use two of these. You might automate one in. And so, I don't know, that's just me. What else do you have, Sam? Um, Is there anything else you do to make a song exciting? No, not really. I mean, I really honestly said everything that I do. Like, don't underestimate too, like volume automation, something very simple. Don't don't underestimate simple things to make songs exciting. Because I feel like a lot of the tendency with people I've helped mm-hmm. get quote-unquote better at mastering or who say, I like the way your records sound, how do you do that? Or we master the same song and they're like, how'd you do that? Um... I'll always ask, well, what did you use? What's your chain? What's your thought process? You know, and normally most people are using two x to three x the amount of things I'm using, plugins, mm-hmm. you know, things stacked on things, and, and this isn't always the case. But sometimes the more you put on something, the worse it sounds. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I've found uh, I don't like in audio the concept. I kind of talked about this briefly on Instagram the the idea that less is more with audio I think is the wrong question <laughs> I don't think that applies because um, less isn't more and more isn't less it's mm-hmm. what does the song need sure um, and when I'm saying like people are using more things than me it's often just because they don't know what they're looking for So when it comes to excitement, you need to listen to the song, 
which is so basic but important. What does the song sound like? And where do you think it needs to go to become exciting? You know, if it needs to become excited or sound not as quote unquote boring. Or if the client, you know, says we want it to be bigger and louder, you know, which is great, then you need to think to yourself, what does that mean? And then you need to implement some tools, plugins or hardware to get yourself there. But a lot of people just toss on thing after thing after thing after thing. And a lot of the times those things are just canceling each other out and making mm-hmm. things just feel weird instead of better. So, you know, with everything I said, like, I would just encourage people start with like a volume change and see if that fixes your excitement. That's kind of where I start usually is like, can I just bump something up one dB somewhere? Mm. And sometimes, not sometimes, a lot of times that's it. That fixes it. And then I'll go like, oh, well, maybe a shelf or maybe just a shelf in the course. Don't be afraid to automate. The joy of digital is we can automate like within two seconds and audition something. And then you can just copy and paste it the courses. Um, so, you know, don't be afraid to try some things out, but also don't throw, don't initially just throw the kitchen sink at it. Um, because you're going to break something if you're throwing a sink and you might hurt yourself throwing a sink. <laughs> Think sinks are heavy. They're heavy. So anyway, that's about all I have to say. Like, you know, if you want to, part of having exciting records if you're at the mastering stage, does require you to hopefully have a song that is semi-exciting. <laughs> like, that's the other thing is the song needs to have at least the ingredients there in theory to make it exciting. Uh, one other thing I didn't mention that I've, I have mentioned in other episodes though is like expansion compression. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, using expanders, I like a lot to add bounce to songs. If a song feels dull and 2D to me and not moving well, expansion has become my best friend the last few years in getting things to pop and move and wiggle and dance. Um, But yeah, I think that's all I need to say, honestly. Like, I don't need to keep talking about it. We've given I've given away basically everything I do. Now it's on the listener to learn to listen and know, you know, where to take a song, what it needs to do. So um, you have 139 episodes to figure it out. There you go. So that's it. Take us home, Matt. Sweet. Well, I appreciate it. You divulging the secrets. Yeah, you got no. nothing left. Yeah, no. All right. So if you made it this far, through my ramblings at least, you probably did like the 2X, like talk really fast like a chipmunk through mine. Um, but if you made it this far, thank you. And uh, if you wouldn't mind give Sam a big thank you for putting these episodes together um, he does a killer job and all of these beats I think I think I, like, I did a little math beforehand and it's like episode 139 <clears throat> and we actually have an episode that we don't know if we're going to air so we'll see if that episode comes out um, so we think this will be episode 139 <laughs> and uh, so that means he's put together 139 pieces of music for this podcast so like and assembling this whole darn thing. So um, if you wouldn't mind just telling them thank you, uh, we greatly appreciate it. At least I would greatly appreciate it. Um, if you need a mastering engineer, Sam can be found at Moses Mastering. I can be found at For The Record Mastering. And uh, yeah, if you wouldn't mind just uh, leaving some stars, some shout. What would actually be awesome is if you went on to iTunes and left a comment. Um, I like comments. I like knowing what people think. And uh, <clears throat> if you leave a not nice review, like a one star review, at least tell me why. Because <laughs> it's like, I want to know, like, it's like, well, there's like one, like, two star review, and it's like, well, freaking tell me why. <laughs> you can't just be like, you suck. Um, I want to know. Anyway, um, yeah, leave a comment. We would just really love to hear what you think. And uh, if you wouldn't mind, just taking a screenshot of this and posting it on Instagram, being like, hey, these guys aren't too bad to listen to. They're uh, not not nice on the eyes, but nice on the ears. <laughs> so, 
I don't know. Maybe there'll be an attack release show video coming out one of these days. No promises. Um, anywho, morning, afternoon, evening, whatever you're having, have a darn good one. Thank you so much for being you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We will catch you next episode. Cue the music. Cue it.